In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Hello and welcome to Broads and Books. I'm Erin. And I'm Amy. And this is a special Broads and Books bonus episode. Today on the Broads Talk Books with, we've got Carter Sickles, author of The Prettiest Star. I recommended his book in episode 69, where we talked about the American dream. I do believe this is also where you admitted that you were wandering around your house and crying after finishing it. That is a fact. And because this book gave me that reaction and it involved David Bowie as well, I immediately had to get on the interwebs and contact Carter and see if we could talk to him. And he agreed. He agreed. And I love that you channeled your emotion into something productive. You're like, all right, no, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to bring this together. And we got him on Zoom and Mm -hmm. he told us about his favorite book growing up, some touching fan interactions, and who he kind of stalked into being his friend. Which we deeply respect. He also made a terrible mistake and opened the door to me talking about my obsessions. I thought I was going to have to intervene. Yeah. Yeah, I, you pulled it back pretty quick. I, <laughs> I was impressed. I tried. Yeah, um, we've put all the books that Carter mentions in the show notes, so you can add them all to your TBR pile. And now here's our interview with Carter Sickles. What do you think? You know, thinking of yourself as an early reader, um, as a mm-hmm. kid or a teen, um, did you have a favorite book back then, and why was that your favorite? Well, I mean, like most writers, I was a, was a really big reader. I started as a reader and spent a lot of time at the library um, every week or every couple of weeks. My mom would take me and I'd come back with a big stack of books. And like occasionally we'd go to a bookstore, which was very um, thrilling and exciting. I'd get to actually buy a book. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think as a kid, I was reading a lot of like books about animals, um, a lot of Beverly Cleary 
Um, (laughs) but I think my most influential book was probably around fifth or sixth grade, which was the outsiders by Essie Hinton. Oh yeah. And I've written about this, my obsession with this book because, um, I read it over and over and I watched the movie over and over. And I think it was something about these like deep bonds that these boys had with each other that sort of spoke to me in ways that I didn't really understand. And I couldn't, talk about with gender and masculinity and Mm -hmm. tenderness and it's actually like it feels like a very queer book because it's just all these boys and they're sort of this gang of boys from the wrong side of the tracks who all love each other in Mm -hmm. different ways you know (laughs) and then I read all of Essie Hinton's books Rumblefish, Tex um, and yeah I think it was like this thing of like I had a crush on all these boys, but I also wanted to be these boys. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, and also, you know, in The Outsiders, the protagonist, of course, is a writer. So I think that spoke to me. Um, so yeah, that was one very influential book. And then, you know, in high school, I read a lot of just like a lot of Stephen King and a lot of like really trashy books in high school, like oh, V.C. Yeah. Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> And then I was also reading, like, I think I was reading some, like, sort of more classics that I would, you know, be reading in my lit classes and English classes. But at some point, I think it was more high school where I got really, uh, I think I did a paper on it, and I got really obsessed with banned books. And so I had, like, had a list of banned books, so then I would read books on that list. So I had this, like, so I had all, like, the trash I was reading, and then I was reading, like... Balance. Um, Catcher in the Rye and the autobiogra- autobiography of Malcolm X. And, you know, um, I think that was like my form of rebellion, like reading banned books. Yes. <laughs> and then searching the trash for smut. Exactly. Get out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the other things that we've talked about and that listeners have talked about is classics that they struggled with. Like maybe they were a classic was pushed on them early on. Um, and one that we talked about was Moby Dick that we both struggled with. Do you remember a classic that maybe you struggled with or, you know, you thought this isn't what I want to be reading? I mean, I love Moby Dick, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't read it in high school. We can still be friends. It's okay. okay. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't read it in high school or college. And I was always sort of like, that's never a book I want to read. But then mm-hmm. at some point I was in my thirties and I was on this writing residency. And so I just had a ton of time to like sink into a big book like that. And um, I really, I loved it. I mean, it's, it's much funnier than I was expecting and weird and, um, yeah, I, I still recommend it, but you could try again, maybe. Oh, Aaron, I guess we have to try again now. <laughs> I don't. But you do have to be in the right place. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah. Probably a more receptive place than Aaron is right now. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. There's only so much time, right, that we have right. to read all these books. I have, I, I mean, I don't have like a particular experience where I had a bad reading experience, but... I mean, I just have so many gaps, I think. I think we all do, but they're yeah. just, I haven't read any Dickens. I think I read, like, A Tale of Two Cities in high school, but I haven't read mm-hmm. anything since. Like, I haven't read a ton of Austin. Um, like, Henry James. I feel sort of embarrassed I haven't read Henry James. Like, I've read a couple of books, but, you know, he's sort of a writer that a lot of literary writers name. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think I have, you know, many gaps. 
well, don't worry. I, yeah, I think that's way more widespread. And it, even in just talking to other authors like you, they've revealed that, that, you know, they feel sort of yeah. guilty about not reading everything in the canon, but there's so much to read. Yeah. Like, what, um, <laughs> you know, as you were reading when you were younger or maybe in college or after, were there particular books that you think made you want to be a writer or you saw a path to writing? Well, I mean, I think when I was a kid, I was, I mean, I was reading a lot, but I was also writing a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I always wanted to be a writer, but I had no idea how one did that. Yeah. So when I was a kid, I was just writing these sort of, um, I mean, it was basically just plagiarizing what I was reading, I think. So <laughs> I was reading lots of stories, writing lots of stories about dogs, um, animals, and I, I sure I wrote some stories that were sort of like the outsiders ripoffs as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then in college, I had my, I sort of uh, took a creative writing class. Well, I took just like a freshman comp class and my teacher was like getting him his MFA. He was like a TA. And so I had no idea you could like study creative writing. Yeah. Um, and so he kind of connected me into that world. And so I had my first creative writing teacher in undergrad um, kind of let me sit in with her grad students. It was very exciting. And wow. she was like a very sort of serious, like very literary fiction, very serious fiction. And I think that's when I started to shift away completely from like Stephen King and, and all the stuff I was reading in high school. Mm -hmm. And I was reading like Eudora Welty and this person who's not, I don't think he's really read anymore. It's James, James Purdy and his stuff was really dark and he was queer and just dark and weird. Um, Milan Kundera, um, like Garcia Marquez, like a lot mm -hmm. of that stuff. And then, and so I think, you know, that, I guess, gave me a, a way to, not that I felt like I could become those kind of writers, but that I could study mm -hmm. writing and really focus in on craft and, and learn more about, like, the techniques and skills. And, I mean, I think, like, one book, I mean, I'd already got my MFA, but one book that I still love is Mysterious Skin by Scott Heim. Yeah. You ever read that? Mm-hmm. It's such a great book. And I read it when I was living in New York. And um, so it was like the 90s when I read it or mid-90s. And it was just so queer, but about the small town. And I think I knew like that really interested me, that I, I wanted to be a writer who was writing about queer themes and queer issues, mm -hmm. but not necessarily in urban spaces. And that was one of the first books I read that kind of did that. Wow, yeah. Rural and queer. What a great experience to be able to sit in with your TA and just yeah. see that other world and see a little bit mm -hmm. of the other world. Yeah. Right. It was, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think because I was so young, I wasn't intimidated in the way that I probably would be now. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a really fantastic kind of transformative experience. Well, shifting a little bit to your reading habits now, um, how many books are on your TBR pile and what are a few that you can share? I have a huge TBR pile. Good, good, good. And <laughs> let me see here. Um, okay. Well, there's a brand new book by Vanessa Veselka, The Great Offshore Grounds, that I'm super psyched about. I love 
big novels that yeah. you know cover a lot of time and this one follows these two sisters and I think it's just looks like a big ambitious book. Um, one that I actually think you just recommended, it's been on my list and I have it sitting over here, is Luster. Oh um, yeah. I'm super psyched to read that. Mm -hmm. Let's see. There's another debut, How Much of These Hills is Gold by C. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. And on the list. And then uh, there's a book of essays I want to read called Tomboy Land by Ooh. Melissa Balavino. So those are a few. Yeah. There's a lot of others. There's like stuff that's been sitting there for, you know, years. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. And there's no, it's not like I don't want to read those particular books. It's just about time and what's drawing my attention. And mm -hmm. Do you, um, you know, thinking of books that you have been reading um, lately, has there been a, a book or a couple books that have really surprised you recently? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a book by Leah Hampton, a collection of short stories with a fantastic title, which is Fuckface. Um, oh, <laughs> that's yes. a great title. Yeah. And there's a little asterisk for the U. Um, but, uh, they're really funny and surprising, and uh, they're set in Appalachia. Um, they're very contemporary and... They, a lot of them are dealing with like climate change issues and just like social political issues, but they're very character driven, funny stories. Um, we had no rules, another collection of short stories by Corinne Manning about queer experiences, queer lives that I really loved. Um, my, I have to shout out to my friend Cooper Lee Bombardier, who has a book of essays, Pass with Care. Mm -hmm. about his experiences as a trans man in San Francisco and in New Mexico in the 90s and early 2000s. That's fantastic. Pretty recently, I read Paula Sicki's memoir, Later, which is just yeah. beautiful, gorgeous, devastating about the AIDS epidemic and Provincetown and kind of living through oh, that wow. period. It sounds like you read pretty widely over different genres, short story collections, essay collections, memoir. Um, do you find yourself attracted to a certain kind or is it just kind of whatever you're feeling at the moment? Yeah, I kind of move back and forth. Like right now I've been reading more short stories just because I feel super busy with school yeah. and I haven't had time to really sink into a, a novel. But I mean, yeah, my first love is our novels. And like mm -hmm. I said, those big kind of character driven, ambitious novels. Britt Bennett's The Vanishing Half. Absolutely loved that. Aaron that was really about that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That one gets me. <laughs> uh, so good. It was. Oh, man. Big, yeah. Last big novel I read. That was so great. Ooh, another one I, I, I read kind of the beginning of the pandemic is called Leading Men by Christopher Castellani. And uh, I think it was out last year or the year before. And it's this... Um, like reimagining a Tennessee Williams relationship with his um, partner, Frank Merlo. Oh, wow. And it's really gorgeous. And it takes like part of the novel takes place in Italy. Part of it takes place in Provincetown. And that, especially at the beginning of the epi um, at the pandemic, it was just such a like, just transported me to these places, yeah. like yeah. outside of the U.S. outside <laughs> <And> <laughs> of my house. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I recommend that for sure. How would you say you normally find your book recommendations? 
I think just from other writers, um, you know, following people or things that come up on Instagram, um, on Twitter for sure. And then, you know, like I look and see what the independent bookstores are recommending. I try to stay on top of, uh, you know, what's being reviewed and in the New York Times and New Yorker. But yeah, a lot of it is just kind of word of mouth too. Well, I find that uh, Aaron and I are getting a lot of that as we're talking to more authors. And that's, in fact, how I heard about your book. We talked to Andrea Lawler, oh, and yeah. they recommended uh, The Prettiest Star. And so that shot to the top of the list. Uh, that's um, so great. <laughs> and, you know, as, as you heard this week, we recommended it in our episode for uh, The American Dream. Yeah, um, and you. I am an enormous David Bowie fan. So the combination of... Uh, okay. Plus the subject matter, the Starman section, yeah, mm. just I was I was bad. Um, but any particular books or authors do you think that inspired the the prettiest star in particular? I mean, I you know it's like I grew up in the '80s, so I was taking some from like mining my own memories. But yeah. then, of course, I did a lot of research about the AIDS epidemic, um, especially trying to find information on small towns. And so there was a lot of nonfiction that I was turning to. Um, my, it's called My Own Country, which is this guy, Abraham Vergesi. And he um, wrote about his time in like East Tennessee and very rural America in the, um, I think it was like 86 or 87. And he was a, coming from, he was a doctor. And so infectious disease doctor and so he wrote, mm -hmm. writes about the AIDS epidemic at that time um, so that was one that I looked at and then as far as fiction I wasn't reading a lot of it as I was working on the novel but for sure Michael Cunningham's work informed me as a writer and yeah. informed how I was thinking about this book um, Sarah Shulman who's like AIDS historian a lot of her work and her um, fiction was also just doing a lot of like reading and watching documentaries. Um, I mean, there's a lot of fantastic documentaries. There's one called We Were Here about San Francisco um, in the 80s and 90s. It's just beautiful and devastating about um, the epidemic. And that one in particular, I mean, for some reason, just hit me about how young every, yeah. so many people were. I mean, mm -hmm. it was just like, you know, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds. Um, so it's, it's a beautiful documentary. Well, there's a set of questions we like to ask at the end that are somewhat book related and some not. Okay. Um, the, <laughs> the first one is we would like to know what is your most memorable fan interaction, whether that's fun, uh, weird, touching, creepy. <laughs> <laughs> In person, virtual, the world is crazy now. So it could be anything. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because, you know, I haven't been out, like, with my first novel, The Evening Hour, I was touring a little bit, and, mm -hmm. you know, that came out in 2012, so, which seems so long ago, so I'm Does. trying to, to think back to that period. Um, we were so young and innocent then. Right? Yeah. It's a different time. And so mm -hmm. this time I've been, you know, it's just me in front of my computer screen, um, <laughs> but I've been getting like since the book is getting into people's hands I'm starting to hear back from readers you know I, I've had a couple of really um powerful kind of interactions with people um one person who lived through uh who's a gay man who lived through the epidemic and 
um, grew up in a small town and then uh, was living in Atlanta during the time, you know, and just sort of felt that I captured the time period in this way that um, felt very authentic and, yeah. and real and important mm-hmm. to him. So hearing back from some of those people, or I heard back from someone who just remembered that the intensity of like accepted homophobia in the eighties yeah. and nineties. Mm-hmm. And like one of her best friends was gay in high school and just like what he had to sort of endure, you know? So I think like those fan interactions have been just really powerful and, you know, nothing weird at all. Just um, people trying to connect uh, and, and about these, their experiences that they had wow. from that time. It must be very validating especially after doing so much research and and trying to mine your own experiences as well. Yeah, it has been. And it's like, it's been really great to reach those readers, but then there's like the really young readers that I feel Mm -hmm. like I've been connecting with too. And that is like powerful in other ways, just because so many of them were really just not taught anything about the AIDS uh, epidemic and nothing about um, really this history. So uh, it's been great to hear back from them. Yeah, as well. Oh. And yeah, that, that made me think of the high school experiences you, you talk about in the book and just the rampant use of language. It, it was very uh, familiar. It reminded me mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. Um, in either your experiences promoting this book or with your previous book, uh, was there a particular author you were really excited to meet and you got to meet and it was a good experience? Oh, that's a good question. So, I mean, I, I think Lydia Yukonovich, um, mm. whose work was also really inspirational, inspirational to me. And even though I was already writing, I already had a book published, like her book, Chronology of Water, yeah. just affected me in this way. <laughs> it was just such a different kind of um, look or like way of writing about your personal story and the way she sort of pushes at the the edges of things and writes about trauma and queerness and bodies. I just um, loved. So I got to meet her um, when I was living out in Portland and I think um, she was at like a book signing. And so, I mean, Portland is, is great because there's so many writers out there, but it's also sort of accessible. Like you can meet people in a way that you can't in New York in the same way, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so I had her sign my book and she was of course amazing. And, lovely and then um I don't know I felt like I would just go to what whenever she had a reading or something I would like be there (laughs) (laughs) um and then eventually like we um our circles converged a little bit and like we were actually guest teaching together at Eastern Oregon um at their low residency program so that was really cool to become a little bit uh, closer in her to her, you know, after just admiring her as like, you know, sort of feeling starstruck. And I like that strategy of forced friendship, just <laughs> right, like, you know, right. her around. <laughs> just, just, just stalk the writer that you yep. want to. Okay. Yep. Friends with. Yep. We will yep. take that to heart. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> just keep showing up. Yep. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, eventually she'll remember. They'll remember who you are. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not with alarm. And right. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Exactly. How would you say your readings changed since you became a published author? Oh, that's a good question too. I think that I'm just reading so much more sort of contemporary stuff and like reading, you know, 
people who are, it's their debuts or um, reading like my friend's work or friends of friends, you know, I think there's just a lot more of like very contemporary, contemporary work that I'm reading. I'm also trying to read, um, you know, I think my background and, and sort of the work that I was um, taught in even my MFA program was a lot of like, realism and modernism and I didn't except for high school when I was reading horror I didn't really um branch out out, outside of that so like now I you know try to read across um genres so like um Carmen Maria Machado's work you know I think is Mm -hmm. really fascinating so especially like people who are kind of blurring the genres yeah Yeah, I imagine especially since you've gone through the process of knowing how to, you know, get a work out there, seeing genres blurred, probably you appreciate that even more. Yeah. Do you have a book that you think everyone should read? Well, I mean, I said Moby did. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> we are going to fail, Aaron. Sucks. Um, Can you fail what? if you don't even try? Because I'm not <laughs> I mean, one book is so hard, right? Oh, but, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I do kind of feel like if I had to pick one, like, sort of great American novel, aside from Moby Dick, um, I mean, I think Toni Morrison, right? oh, like, yeah. Beloved, to me, mm-hmm. is just kind of the one. And I feel like, especially now, like, every American should read that book mm-hmm. because it's speaking to, you know, the institutionalized racism mm-hmm. and slavery and just, like inherited trauma and it just is like a book that we all need to read again and again mm-hmm. well we always talk about our le- at the end of the episodes we talk about our our favorite pop culture thing that we're obsessed with right now what's okay. your current pop culture obsession um i would say it's probably with tv because i do watch a lot of tv and i just finished um i may destroy you oh that's next I- on my list Oh God, it's so brilliant. Yeah, you Oof. have to watch it. Okay, okay. Michaela Cole. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I just I loved it. And um, yeah, so I, I can't stop thinking about it and I want to rewatch mm-hmm. it. Even though it's a very sort of intense show, it's not something that you can binge in the some, same way you can other shows because it's yeah about sexual assault and trauma, but it's just the writing is so sharp and and funny and sad and it's just incredible and i also started watching lovecraft country oh yeah oh yeah i just started that that as well and talk about blending genres that is yeah there's so much right yeah Yeah. so Mm -hmm. i'm kind of hooked on that and i'm curious to see where it's going to go i'm excited about your david bowie like love though because (laughs) Oh, you've opened the door, uh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Bad. <laughs> Aaron's like, oh, shit, what's happening? <laughs> Real quick, we gotta go. <laughs> because, of course, that was, like, such important, like, pop culture for writing that book and thinking yes. about my character Brian's, you know, like, um, pop culture that was important for him and just yeah. transformative for him. But I listened to, like, I wasn't, I mean, I was a Bowie fan, but I wasn't in the same way that my character was. But then, of course, I listened to so much Bowie when I was working on it. And uh, so I, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like I, Bowie is someone I keep going back to now. 
too. I'm just like listening to his music right now, sort of helping me through a quarantine. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, with me, it's just, he is very much blending genres just all over the place. The way he played. Yeah. the way he played with gender, the way he played with just sort of everything was really inspiring, I think. He was just so fabulous, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Aaron, are you seeing my restraint right now? Because, okay, <laughs> I was I want thinking you that remark. he's like trying to get you to ugly cry because that's know, where we're headed. Like... <laughs> she texts me while she's reading that book and I know for a fact yeah, yeah, was just, <laughs> there was a lot of crying. It was, uh, it was bad, you. but it was good. I, I apparently needed that and that was exactly what I got. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was wonderful. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's it, Carter. Those were our questions. Okay. But um, was this was talking so with you, and I am now going to keep you on the line and talk to you for an hour about doing that. <laughs> <Is> that cool. <laughs> about that way, yeah. <laughs> You're going to come back in the morning, and she's still going to be talking. About <laughs> right. My Zoom will still be going. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you very much for joining us. This was yeah. wonderful to get to talk to you a little bit. Well, thank you so much. It was great to meet both of you, and I've been listening to your show now, so I'm really excited oh, to that's so keep nice. going thank with you. that. Yes, I love looking at all the book recommendations. Oh, Aaron. (sighs) You were right to get him on Zoom. Thank you. I appreciate that. It was great. I really enjoyed that interview. Yeah, he was Mm -hmm. fantastic. I love that uh, he kind of gave us a little bit of shit for, you know, um, not liking Moby Dick. I respect that. I do. I am not, however, going to read the book. What are you going to do, Erin? Not read it again. No, no, no. And I I fully appreciate. Yes. That's what I love about books, though. Right. Right there is that they speak to different people at different times. They sure do. And I love that. Moby Dick speaks to him. Yeah. That's It's not going to speak to me. And and that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. I also love um, that he talked about the fans that have survived the AIDS epidemic reaching out and saying what an amazing job he did of capturing that in his book. What a huge compliment, Mm -hmm. testament to his writing, to his research, and to his commitment to a topic that could be very difficult to traverse. And he just knocked it out of the park. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. I love that also he pretty much stalked uh, Lydia Yuknovich into being his friend. I really liked that technique because that's kind of what we're doing with every author call. Yeah. We are forcing people to be our friends. Yes. So Carter, whether you know it or not, you're our best friend. You're now. our best friend. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Especially because you asked Amy about her David Bowie obsession. Yeah. Yeah. And I know what was going through my mind. What was going through your mind at that point, Erin? Um, well, <laughs> a couple things. One, we had sort of talked about it beforehand. And uh-huh. you were like, I'm going to rein it in. So then when he said it, I was like, oh, all bets are off. <laughs> like, she's going to just go for it. But then you kind of did the Amy thing where you just sort of downplayed it. I did. And I hate that I did that I because know. he gave me an opening. Yeah. We could have had a nice little talk about it. And instead, I was like, I got to say one sentence and then I got to shut up because he's not going to like if I talk more no. about this. And obviously, he has an affinity for David Bowie yeah. as well, which is he great. Asked, yes. What is wrong with my head? <sighs> I, You know, it's all of us. <laughs> what can you do? But I also don't think that he, that this is the last time that you'll have the opportunity to speak to Carter. Sickles no, because as it. we said, you know, we are stalking these people into being our friends. So I, uh, I'm going to initiate a lot of contact. 
with Carter. I, you should. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the I think the this smart is now a do. warning, and also this may be used in a court situation later. Oh, okay. So All that's right. difficult. Wow. You went, that was like <laughs> zero to 60. Like we're already, but that's fair. That's fair. I've said that quite a few times. If that happens, I will back you up. I will back you up 100%. Oh, no. He's going to listen to this and be like, why did I do that? What is wrong with them? What is wrong with them? That I'm just, I'm going to explain something real quick. Okay, great. Okay. Yeah. And that is that you have brought out this level of fandom and Amy, it means you did something right. Because That's if she right. can't control the love of this book and or David Bowie. Right. And they're, t- they're just, they're tied together now. Yeah. So. Like. Yeah, I love you. Yeah, and I think that's... you're a good fan to have. I don't know why anyone wouldn't want it. <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. You're welcome. You're my ride or die. You know it. <laughs> Through restraining orders and cease and desists. <laughs> and we'll document all of it, don't you worry. You and uh, we'll be back next Wednesday with our regular weekly themed episodes. And in the meantime, though, you can head to our website, broadsandbooks.com, and check out all of these bonus episodes. You can find us in a lot of places. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We got a website. Guess what? We have a YouTube channel. God, we're... You want to get this podcast in a video form? Do it. Yeah. We made that for you. Happy reading. I'm up again. Same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're they're coming out of me, and... To me, I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Cause their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. <laughs> because now this is, this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.